Thank you very much. Great to be together. Thanks for reading that, Ida. Um, Start a little bit differently today. Let me. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, it's the story of Sammy the shark. And you won't have heard this story before. I can guarantee it because I've just made it up. Okay. So Sammy the shark. So Sammy was a shark, and Sammy was always a bit of a free spirit in the shark world. He would he would ask his friends, all excited, "What are we going to do today, guys? What are we up to today?" And they would always say the same thing. They'd say, "Well, we're hunting for food, of course, because that's what sharks do." But Sammy wasn't satisfied with this kind of way of life. He wasn't happy with it at all. He, he wanted to do more. He wanted to explore. He wanted to express himself. And he was tired of the ocean. It was all a bit uh, samey and gloomy and kind of bluey green. And he was just tired of it. He was also not all that keen on being a shark. He was a bit fed up with being a shark because the sharks, they're always the bad guys. Everyone's scared of the sharks. And he didn't like that. You know, the Jaws movies had done them no favours at all. And he wanted to be popular. Sammy wanted to be liked by people. Anyway, he would often hang out quite near the shore with his friends, just keeping an eye on things. His friends were there because they were hoping for a bit of easy prey. You know, an unsuspecting swimmer comes out a little bit too far and it's an easy, easy bit of prey for them. But, but Sammy wasn't so interested in that. Sammy would gaze longingly at the beach all the time. And he'd look at them all and all these people sunbathing and playing games and eating ice cream and just having a great time. And it looked so wonderful and it was so colourful, like all these different colours, vibrant colours lit up by the sun. He, he, he was just longing and he looking at all this. He wanted that kind of life. And all, of course, all his friends had warned him, Sammy, don't go too close to the shore because you'll get stuck and it'll be dangerous for you. So they'd all warned him because uh, they kind of knew what it was like. But Sammy had this longing in his heart and it was so strong this longing to escape from the shark life and embrace this new, exciting way of life. And so one day he's there at the shore as usual and he decides to go for it. He thinks, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go for it. He decided to finally take hold of his freedom in this new life, free of all the constraints and all the monotony of sharkdom. And he pointed himself towards the shore and he swam as fast as he could. He'd never swum as fast as this in his whole life. And just as he reached the shore, he took one magnificent leap, the kind of leap you only ever see dolphins do. He took this magnificent leap, arced over, and landed on the beach, and he's excited, ready to start his new life. And then he died. <laughs> the end. Do you like it? Sammy will feature throughout, so I will refer back to him. There is a point. Um, but this week, as Edith said, it's the, the, the rhythm of freedom is what we're looking at, the rhythm of freedom. We heard that passage from John 8 read out before. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use that passage. I think that passage answers a couple of important questions. So I'm going to kind of go through that passage uh, a couple of times to answer two, two questions. The first question is, well, what is true freedom? I think we've got to understand what is true freedom if we're hoping to have a rhythm of freedom. And then the second question is, how do we live in that freedom? How do we have a rhythm, an ongoing, lifelong rhythm of freedom? So first of all, first question is, what is true freedom? Well, Jesus tells us, I think, in this passage, verse 31, 32, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I'm going to say a lot more about the truth a bit later. But in essence, in answer to that question, what is true freedom? In essence, what Jesus is saying here is, you are only free, and you can only know freedom if you accept my constraints. 
if you hold to my teaching. Now, most people would see that as the opposite of freedom. You know, the, the dominant understanding of freedom in our culture is the absence of constraints on my choices. You know, I get to choose to do whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, however I want, with whoever I want. That is what freedom is. And if there are any restrictions, that's not freedom. You know, the, the, the fewer limitations and constraints there are on my choices, the more free I am. But if anything constrains me or limits me, the less free I am. That's the dominant view of freedom, the dominant understanding of freedom in our culture. Sammy the shark found out to his cost and to his demise that that is simply not true. It's just not true. That definition of freedom led to a very sad and tragic end for Sammy because the reality is there was a constraint that he needed. He needed the constraint of the water to be able to live because that is the only environment in which he was designed to flourish. Or think of it in another way. Think of it as a man goes to the doctor and the doctor says to him, you are going to have a heart attack imminently. You're in grave danger. You've got to change your diet. You've got to stop eating that kind of food or you're going to die. Now, what does freedom mean for that man? What does freedom look like? Because if the world's definition of freedom is there are no constraints and you do whatever you desire, well, his desires contradict because he, he, he wants, he really wants to keep eating that food he likes because he likes it. He enjoy, it's an enjoyable experience for him to eat that kind of food, but he also doesn't want to die. He, he wants to live. He has a desire to live and to be in good health. So what is freedom for him? Well, for him, freedom is the ability to choose the more life-giving desires, the more life-giving, the more liberating constraints because he has to lose one of those freedoms. He has the freedom, of course he has the freedom, he can do whatever he wants. He has the freedom to go on eating that food as he likes. He doesn't have to change his diet, he's got a choice. He has the freedom to do that and he also has the freedom to choose to live a longer life but he's got to lose one of those freedoms. He has to constrain one of those freedoms in order to gain the other one. He can't have both. So freedom is never just about the absence of constraints. That's way too simplistic a view of freedom. It's about choosing the more life-giving constraints, the more liberating constraints. Sammy the shark, he could have found other ways to explore and express himself and have a slightly different life, but it did have to be within the constraint of the water. Anything outside that was really not a good option for him as he found out. So true freedom always involves the strategic loss or the strategic putting down of some freedoms in order to gain other better freedoms. So that's what true freedom is. Now, the Jews are really insulted by what Jesus said. Um, even though it tells us at the beginning of the passage that these are Jews who had believed in him, clearly this belief was a bit of a fickle belief and Jesus is putting it to the test now with what he says to them. We know it's a fickle belief, but it didn't exactly go very deep because by the end of the chapter, they're trying to kill him, which doesn't indicate a life-changing belief in Jesus, but they're trying to stone him to death by the end of the passage. So um, how much they believe, I don't know, but they're really insulted because the implication of Jesus saying to them, if you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The implication is that they are not free at the moment, that they are slaves. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have, we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? It's like they're saying there's nothing to be set free from. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus is saying, he's told them, this is what true freedom is. You accept my constraints. 
But he's saying there's an enemy to that freedom as well. The great enemy of true freedom is sin. Okay? The enemy is not something out there like a person or a system that is there to constrain you and limit you and stop you fulfilling your every desire. Obviously, there are external constraints on us. There are things which can limit our freedoms. But he's saying the ultimate enemy, the big enemy of freedom lies actually within because everyone who sins is a slave to sin. He's saying, you, you think you're free. You think you're free to choose. You're not. You're enslaved to something. You're actually slaves. You're the opposite of free. What is sin? Sin is essentially disobedience to our creator. It's when we resist obeying God because we want to be independent and not dependent. We were created to be dependent, but we want to be independent. You know, God has told us not to eat that fruit. He has said we can eat from any other tree in the garden, but just not that one. So we're going to eat that one. That's the human heart, isn't it? We're going to eat that one because actually we know better than God. Actually, we don't really trust God. Actually, I think God's holding something good back from me. I think he wants to spoil my fun by saying I can't eat that, so I'm going to have that. Thank you very much. Sin is that impulse within all of us that says no one tells me how to live my life. And to a greater or lesser extent, that is within all of us. The thing is, why does God tell us how to live? Well, it's very simple. He tells us how to live because he's the creator. You know, and he knows the best way for us to live in order to be able to flourish. And that's what he wants. He wants us to flourish. He wants human beings to flourish. We're his creations. He loves us. And stepping outside the boundaries that he puts in place will always end up being destructive for us. As much as the land beyond those borders might seem really, really appealing. And of course, that is the power of sin, isn't it? That's the power of temptation and sin is to make something ungodly and destructive appear really attractive and life-giving. That's what happens. The things that we think will lead to freedom are actually going to destroy us. The things we think will lead to freedom are really slavery in disguise. Again, that's what Sammy the shark found out to his cost. Or it's like the manufacturer of a car might tell you through the owner's manual, you know, that this car is designed to run on petrol. So don't put diesel in it. And we trust that, don't we? Because the, the manufacturer of the car, they know what they've made. They know it better than we do. They know how it's designed to run. And they're saying, this is how you use this car for it to work well, for it to work properly. If we violate the design of the car by putting in diesel and then we try to drive the car, the car is dead. The car gets destroyed. In the same way, if we violate God's design for us, and the instructions he gives us in his word, those boundaries he puts in place around things like sex and relationships and how we use money and integrity and honesty and forgiveness and unforgiveness and all sorts of things, if we say, no, 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 God, I'm going to eat that fruit, I'm not listening to you, I'm going to eat that fruit, it will be destructive for us. It won't lead to good things for us. God isn't holding good things back from us. That's the lie that we so often believe. But he puts in boundaries for our good. He puts in boundaries because he does know, as the creator, he knows what will destroy us and he knows what will stop us from flourishing. So he says, don't do that. Don't go there. It won't be good for you. Violating his design will always ultimately lead to a loss of freedom. You know, the fruit, whatever that fruit is, and you can fill in the blank, the fruit may feel really good at first. You know, it might, eating that might be really good. It's, this feels really liberating. It will bring disintegration. If it's outside God's design, it will bring disintegration. It will bring loss of freedom into your life. This is why it is so unbelievably tragic, and tragic is probably not strong enough a word for it, when whole denominations of the church 
decide to depart from God's word and choose to bless what God doesn't bless. We see it all around now in the areas of sex, marriage, relationship, uh, and gender, and all these kind of things. And it's kind of like saying, we know better than you, God. Actually, we know better than you what love looks like. Because what you've got in here, it doesn't come across very loving to some people. It's a bit offensive. Don't like it. We know better than what love looks like. We, we know better than you, God, what human flourishing really looks like. So we're going to ignore the parts of your word that we don't really like, that feel a bit uncomfortable. We're going to twist your word to make it say what we want it to say. And we know somebody else who likes to twist scripture for his own ends, don't we? It's all based on the, mis- on the misconception that that's loving. But challenge is not incompatible with love. Challenge is actually intrinsic to loving somebody because you want the best for them. So you want to challenge people to, to live God's way. You want, them, you want the best if you love somebody. Now, of course, people who don't profess Jesus as Lord, they're completely free to do what they want within the law. They're free to marry whoever they want, male or female. They're free to have sex with whoever they want. They're free to be whoever they want. Of course they are. It won't, I believe, ultimately lead to flourishing, but you're free to do it. But when the church starts promoting sin and the church starts promoting the violation of God's sovereign and loving design as if it's not loving, well, that's like, it's like actively encouraging Sammy the shark to go and embrace his new lifestyle, embrace your dreams, follow your heart, Sammy, and just send him off to his death. It's the opposite of loving. It's not loving at all. So we've got to trust that God knows what is best in his word. And he, he gives us his word. He knows what is best. We've got to hold the line on the word of God. This is our foundation for living. This reveals God to us. It reveals Jesus to us. It reveals ourselves to us. We hold it up to ourselves like a mirror. It's not always a pretty sight, but we have a savior who can heal us. So we have a savior who can change us. But the word of God is our foundation. We must not depart from this. It's God's design for human flourishing. So, true freedom is not the absence of constraints. It's choosing the better, more life-giving constraints. And sin is the enemy to true freedom. And then, the final thing on this question of what is true freedom is that actually the only one who can overcome that enemy is Jesus himself. So having talked about being slaves to sin, he says in verse 35, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I'll say a lot more about this at the end, about how Jesus sets us free. But Jesus is saying, again, in in this context of what is true freedom, Jesus is saying, while you're a slave to sin, you do not belong to the family of God. And again, this is shocking for the Jews because they believe that they do by virtue of being a descendant of Abraham. But he's saying, no, you're not free. You're not free, you are enslaved. And the only one who can set you free is me, is Jesus. Jesus is telling them and he's telling us, unless I intervene, unless... You receive my help. Unless you believe the gospel, you are not free. You are slaves. And if you want to know true freedom and you want to belong to the family of God, that only comes through me. Okay? So that's what Jesus is telling us. What he tells us about, this is what true freedom is. This is what stops it. This is how you get it. Okay? Now, most of us, praise God, most of us in this room, not everybody, but the majority of us in this room today have received that freedom through Jesus. Praise God. Amen? Hallelujah. We've received that freedom through being born again. His intervention in our lives, not our own good works, his intervention through being adopted into the family of God, through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ, we have received that freedom. 
And for many of us, not exclusively, but for many of us, there was a moment, or maybe several moments, so there was a moment when we received forgiveness. Everything changed. We knew everything had changed. We knew our whole world had shifted. Jesus came into our life. We received forgiveness. We looked at the world from a new perspective as a new creation. We discovered in that moment the freedom of trusting God, something which before, previously, might have been something that that we feared or something that we mistrusted. Suddenly, we discover the freedom that comes with trusting God, putting the weight of our lives on him, being dependent on him, and following Jesus so joyfully. And I don't know, maybe you're thinking of a time in your life when it was like, yeah, I was so alive, I was so on fire. But the problem is those moments are called moments because the feelings of those moments don't last, or certainly not to the same intensity. Because the fact is, I'm sure we will all identify with this, the fact is we don't always feel free, and we don't always live like we are free. Our lives don't always show the freedom that we have been given. It's a bit like the Israelites in the Old Testament when they finally were able to get into the promised land that God had promised them centuries before. And they finally hit that moment where they're going in and they, they go in with God's help and they, it, they did a great job of taking land. They're taking territory. They're winning victory upon victory. God is with us. This is exciting. We're coming into the promises of God. They did a good job, but then they didn't do such a good job of occupying the territory in the years that followed. Because they allowed outside influences that should have been completely driven out, they allowed them to come back in, and it led to compromise. It led to not following God as they should, which then had consequences for them. As they exercised their freedom to do their own thing, to do what was right in their own eyes, that's a phrase you hear repeated through the book of Judges, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Well, it led to a loss of freedom for them. They thought they were exercising freedom. It led to a loss of freedom because they came under the judgment of God. They were invaded by foreign powers. They had famines and all sorts coming upon them. They lost freedom because of it. So the question for us is, how do we live in that freedom? Like on an ongoing basis, how do we occupy the territory that we have been given? And as we take new territory in life, how do we occupy that? How do we develop a rhythm of freedom? Well, again, I think Jesus tells us in this passage in John 8, so just going to kind of look at this again. And by the way, just a little caveat here, this is just scratching the surface. really is, because freedom is, a, in many ways, freedom is a very complex thing. In some ways it's very simple, but in other ways it's very complex. And each of us will have different areas in our lives where we are not so free and we're looking for freedom, different struggles, different things going on. So this is not going to be, you know, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning is not going to answer all the questions about freedom. What I would recommend to you is chapter two. So chapter two follows chapter one. It's clever how we've done that. Um, And it's not just for new people. It's not just for people who have particular struggles. It's for everybody. We all need more freedom. I need more freedom in my life. We all need more freedom in our lives and to live in that freedom and chapter two focuses on on that whole theme of freedom but breaking it down into different aspects different parts and you can do it in a small group with others you can you'll be praying for one another you'll be so you just have to spend more time on it and it'll be more bespoke for you and where you are okay so i'd recommend chapter two to you it'll be sign up in in september but the first thing that jesus says again to go back to the beginning is this if you hold to my teaching you really are my disciples and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So two keys to freedom and living freedom, two keys, obedience and truth. Obedience and truth. You've got to do what he says. If you profess that he is your Lord, if you say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, then you've got to do what he says. That's how lordship works, you know. You've got to live his way, knowing we won't always get it right. We don't. 
I, I am in need of his forgiveness every day because I mess up in some way every day in my thinking, in my actions, in my words. I mess up every day and I discover that Jesus is kind and he's forgiving every time. You know, we have been freed from the power of sin, but we do still sin. But, but there's a difference between that point of view and going out to deliberately go against God. We've got to have the intention. We've got to have the desire in our heart. And it's only Jesus that can change that in our hearts. We've got to have the desire to live his way. Jesus says, that's what shows that you really are my disciples. That's what shows that you really have been born again. That you hold to my teaching. That you follow me. And why do we do that? Why do we follow him? Because sometimes it's really hard. Following Jesus is difficult. There are challenges. We have to make decisions that are not necessarily what we want to do in the moment. Okay, so why do we follow him? Well, it's because of what I said before. It's because his way is better. It's as simple as that. His way, he is the creator. He knows what it takes for humans to flourish. He knows what is destructive for us. So if we trust him, and I trust somebody who's given his life for me, if we trust him, we live his way. And we don't do it, and this is crucial, we don't do it to earn his love. We're not being good, good little girls and boys to earn his love, to make, to make him pleased with us. It's because we've received his love. We've received his forgiveness. It's a response to want to live his way. A new lifestyle follows being made into a new creation. It has to. So don't be surprised if you're not experiencing freedom in your life if you are knowingly and deliberately living in disobedience to him in a particular area of your life. Whether that's in the whole area of sex and relationships or, or other things like that we maybe count as lesser things. Like you're not being generous with what he's given you, you're holding on to, to your money, you're holding on to what he's given you, or you're getting drunk every weekend, or you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, and none of this is easy, and I don't say any of this to be condemning, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His grace is far greater than our sin, but don't put it to the test. It's very clear, Paul says that very clearly in Romans, don't, don't, don't take his grace for granted. We act out of response to his grace. We don't put it to the test by being deliberately disobedient. And of course, another caveat here. Please, please hear this. For some of you, it might not be a deliberate thing, okay? This is not a deliberate thing. You just feel stuck. You feel trapped in a cycle of maybe it's habitual sin or, or whatever. It's like an addiction. For some, it is an addiction. Um, and you need help to break that cycle, Again, this is not about condemning anybody. Some of you just feel stuck. It doesn't feel like, for you, it doesn't feel like it's a choice. It feels like a compulsion. It's really strong, and you don't know how to get out of it, even though you agree with everything I'm saying, even though you say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and then you feel terribly guilty because you're doing this. We, you need help, and that's okay. So ask for help. Get people alongside you, the right people, people you trust, to help you, to pray with you, to to speak truth into your life. That's okay. So, you, so for some people, it's not a deliberate thing. You're just stuck. But Jesus can unstick you. He can. But it might be that for some here, the first step in that rhythm of freedom is to do something that you already know you've got to do. You already know. And you've got to submit the whole of your life to him, not just a proportion of it, not just part of it and hold some back. No, you trust him in the area that you're struggling. Trust him in that area of disobedience and follow him. Do what he says. Take a step of faith to repent and trust in him. Because he hasn't just freed us from something. He's freed us for something. 
Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you might think that sounds really obvious. Of course it is. What he's saying is it is for freedom. It's to live in freedom for eternity. It's not, he's made you free in a moment, but he intends you to live in that for eternity. It is for that kind of freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's poured his grace and his forgiveness upon us so that we can be freed from that. We can be freed from the power of sin, no longer slaves to sin, so that we can live his way, which is where true freedom lies. He's freed us from the power of sin so that we can throw off the constraints and the shackles of sin in order to be able to embrace the constraints that Jesus so lovingly gives us. Because his constraints are good. His constraints are there for our good. We have the ability, because we have been freed from the power of sin, we have the ability to choose the life-giving constraints of Jesus. We've got the ability and the choice to strategically put aside some of our freedoms because they don't lead anywhere good in order to live in the freedom that Jesus has won for us. We've got the daily choice to walk by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. It's what Stuart was talking about last week. You know, We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled, filled, filled again and again. We've got to have that rhythm in our lives because ultimately the question we face is, are we going to yield to him or are we going to yield to our own desires? Are we going to follow what he says or are we going to follow our own desires? We have that choice every day to walk by the spirit or walk by the flesh. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery that's been taken off you. Why would you do that? You know, you know what a yoke is? It's that wooden bar goes across the, kind of the, the oxen's shoulders to keep them you know, not very comfortable it's been ta- you've been released from it. It's been taken off you. Why would you go back? It's like the Israelites in the wilderness. They're grumbling away because life in the wilderness was pretty tough, I bet. And they're grumbling and saying, oh, it was much better back in Egypt. We want to go back there. And you're like, I mean, Moses must have been tearing his hair out and saying, why would you? God's just rescued us from that. Do you not remember what it was like? Do you not remember the tyranny of living in Egypt? God's just rescued you spectacularly from that. Why would you want to go back? And yet we do sometimes. Well, there is a reason, which is, of course, that we are in a battle. That's why we're sometimes tempted to look the other way again, to look towards sin again. We're in a battle. We've been freed from the power of sin, but the temptation, the enticement to sin is still very real because we have a very real enemy who wants to rob us of our freedom. And we've been reading about that this week in the devotionals. If you've, if you've been following those, we've been reading about that, that we have an enemy who will lie and deceive and will tempt and will accuse those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, he won't bother with you because he's already got you where he wants you. But if you're in Christ, he will try to draw you away from God. He will try to lie and deceive, tempt and accuse. We did a whole series earlier this year on the spiritual battle, the armour of God. So I'm not going to say too much about that now because in all its nuances because you can go back and read through the devotionals. You can go back and listen to some of those sermons from the Battle Ready series. But it's in this battle, this spiritual battle, that knowing the truth, as Jesus said, knowing the truth is so important. The truth that God has revealed to us in his word. The truth about who he is. The truth about who we are in him. And reminding ourselves constantly of that truth. Of what is actually true. Because that's the best way of being able to spot the lies and the deception. And the accusations and the temptations of the enemy. And I've said this quite recently I think. But it's, it's like that training that used to be given to, to bank tellers or cashiers. To be able to spot forged banknotes. It wasn't by studying the forgeries. The way they were able to do it was by studying the real thing in detail. They got so well acquainted with the real thing, the real banknotes, 
that when a forgery comes along, when a counterfeit comes, they just know, even if they can't spot it straight away, they just know something is not right. Something is off with this. Even the very best counterfeit notes. And let's face it, the enemy we have is a really good liar. He's good at this. He's had thousands of years of practice. He's good at deception and he knows you. He knows where you are vulnerable. Do you know where you're vulnerable? Do you know your weak spots? Do you know where you're vulnerable to temptation or vulnerable to the accusation of the enemy? He does. And he'll use it on you all the time. He accuses uh, the people of God day and night. You've got to know where you're vulnerable. We need to be so well acquainted with the truth that we can spot that deception when it inevitably comes. Some of us are living with strongholds, something which is, things which is called strongholds. These are deep-rooted beliefs about ourselves or about God that are based on lies, but they feel like they're true because you've lived with them for so long, they're so deep-rooted, but they're actually at odds with what Scripture says, with what is really true. You know, you might believe all sorts of things about yourself without realising it, but you might have that opinion of yourself that, look, I'm fundamentally unlikable. I'm fundamentally dirty. I am fundamentally rejectable. People will always reject me. Or, or God, you'll have beliefs about God. God is, yeah, he's, kind of, he's kind of mean. He's demanding. He's, he's a taskmaster. We can believe all sorts of things which are based on lies, but they feel so true because they've got in there and they've taken root and they've been there for a long time. This is what 2 Corinthians 10 says. It says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, demolish these lies. We're talking about things like the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the, the armour of God. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Every lie, every temptation, every accusation that tries to rob us of our freedom, tries to take you away from Christ, tries to draw you back towards enslavement to sin, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? Well, it's like a thought comes in your head or you, you find yourself going down a train of thinking and maybe it's based on this, like, oh, God doesn't really love me. God doesn't love me. That's the thought in your head. You take that thought captive. You make it obedient to Christ. You say, that is not true. That is not true. And I've got evidence. God has demonstrated his love for me. It's simply not true that God doesn't love me. I reject that thought. I'm taking it captive. I'm making it obedient to Christ. It will bow the knee to Christ. I'm not going to let this thought, I'm not going to let this lie dictate what I believe and how I live. I'm going to let Jesus dictate what I believe and how I live because he's the only one who tells me the truth. And you've all got these two cards on your chairs. These, who I am in Christ and my Father God. These are from the Freedom in Christ course. Some of you might already have these. So great, if you don't, please take these away. It's a gift for you. Please take them away. Put them somewhere where you will use them and see them often and get them into your, into your minds because these cards are full of truth about what God says about you if you are in Christ and what he says about himself, who God is. So when the enemy comes with his lies and his accusations, if you've got this in your heart, if you've got these truths in your heart, he comes and says, you, God doesn't love you, you're miserable or sinner, you know, you can say, well, no, because John 1.12 tells me I'm God's child. That's not how a father acts towards his child. I, I, I've been justified. I've, I've been bought with a price, he says in 1 Corinthians 6. I'm, I'm, I belong to God. I'm a saint. I'm a holy one. Ephesians 1.5 says, I've been adopted as God's child. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. God doesn't love me. Are you having a laugh? Away from me, Satan. Because this is what is true. 
That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. He said, it is written, away from me. It is written. This is what's true. Don't try to come with me to me with your lies and your deception. I know what is true. It is written, away from me. What are your it is written's? What are your areas where you need to have those it is written's? Right, not, not so you have to look it up on a card. It's here. It's here. You know it. And when that thought comes again, you say, no. No, no, I'm a child of God. You don't get to speak to me like that. He's my father. So use these cards as a starting point. We need to know the truth. The truth will set us free. So a massive part of having that rhythm of freedom is reminding yourself of what is true. That's why the rhythms of scripture, prayer, power are so important. You've got to study the truth, memorize it, surround yourself with it, remind yourself of it. Ask the Holy Spirit to say it to you because when he says it, 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 it goes deep. When he reveals truth to you, it goes deep. But also ask others to speak truth into your life because sometimes we cannot see the truth. We just simply cannot see it and we need others. That's why we're family. That's why we're community. We need others to speak the truth of God into our lives at times. And then Jesus gives us, and I'll finish on this, Jesus gives us the ultimate truth in verse 35 and 36 where he says, a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the question is, are you a slave or are you a son or a daughter? Are you a slave or are you a son? In, in the old, kind of big, grand old houses like you see in Downton Abbey you know, or in Buckingham Palace, you, you, and you have servants, and the servants lived in the house. If you were a servant, you had your own quarters, but you, you lived in the house uh, with the family. But that relationship with the family is completely dependent on good works. You do a good job, you get to stay. You make a mistake, you're out in your ear. You're no longer part of that household you no longer live there it's different for a son because if you're a son you are part of the family your presence your place in that household is not dependent on performing well it's dependent on your status as a son which is not something you earn you didn't do anything to become a son you are loved unconditionally your place in the family is guaranteed now even if we are sons and daughters even if we have been born again and we are sons and daughters of God we can still act like servants we can still act like slaves, act like what we used to be when we believe the lie that we need to earn God's love and forgiveness by following the rules, by being good, by being obedient. That's why I was trying to be careful earlier to say it's not about earning, it's about a response. We see God as our boss rather than as our father. We act like a servant. And that can lead to all sorts of things. It leads to anxiety. You know, am I living a good enough life? Have I done enough to please God or is he angry with me? Or it can lead to anger. You know, I, I don't feel like God's rewarding me for all my good works. Look at what I've given up for you, God. And you can't even do this for me. We can get an attitude of entitlement. And it leads to not, not good things. The fact is you're still acting like a slave. Or if you've never been born again, you still are a slave. If you've never been born again, if, you're, if Jesus is not your Lord, you still are a slave. That can change today. If you submit your life to him, that can change today. Unlike Unlike Sammy the shark, who had a very sad end, in the gospel there's redemption. In the gospel there's a rescuer who comes. In the gospel there is hope. You've just got to reach out and take it. So we've got to become and we've got to believe that we are sons, that we are daughters. Our status is secure. And the only one who can do that is the son, Jesus. But we can be confident in that status, we can be confident of God's love for us because of the lengths he went to to rescue us, to reconcile us 
to adopt us into his family. I'm just going to ask the band if they want to come up as, um, as I come to a close here. You know, we may not like the idea of giving up some of our freedoms to follow Jesus until you realize that he gave up far more freedom than you ever will to make you free. He gave up far more freedom than you will ever give up to follow him. The freest and most powerful being in the universe willingly constrained and limited himself to a manger as a baby. He came and lived as one of us, lived as a man. He, he was tempted in every way, just as we are. He suffered, he was scorned, he was mocked, he was beaten, and ultimately he was crucified, nails driven through his hands and his feet, all for the sake of us. All for the sake of us. Who could doubt his love? How could you doubt his love? Who could doubt the power and the perfection of his sacrifice? And it's when you spend time really gazing upon that truth, really looking at it, really spending time, really letting it fill you, fill your mind, fill your heart, fill your whole being, that you really are that loved. You really are that loved. That your debt of sin has been completely paid in full, nothing left to pay for eternity. It's done. It's finished. That you are credited with the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. When you see that, and you spend time gazing at it, what he's done for you to bring you into an eternal relationship with him, to bring you freedom. When you gaze upon the beauty and the power and the love of the son, of Jesus, our liberator, that's what transforms a slave into a son. That's what transforms dutiful, begrudging obedience into joyful choice. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You want to know true freedom? You want to live in that freedom? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus and keep them there. The author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Let us live in the freedom that he has given us so graciously. He's won for us, freely given us because this is his promise to you. This is his promise. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. Let's live in it, church. Let's live in the freedom he's given us. Amen. Amen.